Welcome to Masters of Divinity. I am your moderator, JP, and I'm here as always a fun Chuck. Hey. Um, and we are in our second installment of our fifth annual music mayhem. And this week we'll be talking about Heaven and Hell by Black Sabbath. I just realized that yeah. we've sort of abandoned the whole like music mayhem pause for some kind of like sound effect thing. I know, he did. Should we bring it back? I think it'd be funny for this episode if every time you say music mayhem, we get Dio's look out from <laughs> yeah. Children of the Sea. Sure. I think, I mean, it really did hit its apex as soon as you added the keyboard thing from We Can Dance If We Want To. Uh. <laughs> safety Dance. Yeah. Safety Dance. <laughs> I, I, it, was, it was fun looking for just like, what are just some like clips from songs that everyone recognizes? Ooh. Another good one could be like the opening, uh, the opening sort of horn bit from um, the impression that I get from Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. Yeah. <laughs> or just the entirety of Dark Side of the Moon. <laughs> Stop. It's <laughs> a very Seth MacFarlane joke right there. Um, you know, Chuck, I was thinking earlier. Um, we were we we've we've mentioned this a couple of times that Dio invented the uh, the metal horns yeah and you know listener love, I'm, in my, I'm in my clergy attire hell yeah uh after having just done the last temptation of christ and now we're talking black sabbath like i've just <laughs> been corrupted man <laughs> well dio was uh was hardcore catholic so yes he was um but what's orthodox. interesting or orthodox yeah sure, i think he was orthodox he's greek right no he's italian oh that's oh, what yeah, that, yeah, yeah. okay that's, that's part right. of the story uh, right. He he came up with the metal horns because his grandmother. He would go to these marketplaces with his grandmother, who was like an uh, Italian immigrant. And um, whenever she'd see someone she didn't like, she would throw up what's called the evil eye, and that's it. That's the metal horn. She'd just do that, and they'd do it right back at him like that. And he always thought it was like the funniest thing in the world. And then on one in one performance on one tour, just instinctively, he just like threw him up. And then everyone else started doing it. And that's how that's how the metal horns came to be. And I'm like, you know, what's funny about that is that there's like a lot of there, there's like a ton of Italian hand gestures. And the oh, fact yeah. that it was just done instinctively, that just means it could have been something it could have been any other Italian hand gesture. Imagine if like he threw up just like the the finger purse. <laughs> like would, it, would, would this would this become the metal <laughs> gesture? Just crowds of yeah, rock, 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 <laughs> and then then like because that would be associated with rock. Then by turn, right, you would have episodes of the of of, uh, of the Daily Show where instead of John Stewart doing this, making fun of Italian accents, he'd be doing this. Yeah, exactly. Wow, what a what a crazy alternate world that is. <laughs> <laughs> what I, I can I just point to? I, I love that this. People are like it's the devil horns, right? It's the head yeah. with the devil, and it's like, well, it's actually meant to be a symbol to ward off demons. That's why his grandmother did that, yeah, because yeah. she's basically calling the other women demons, like, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think that's that's kind of funny. I mean, I, I don't know if it, who who decided it was 
the devil horns. I don't know. Oh, like there is a. I mean, obviously, right? There's. Uh, well, actually, it, it, part of this all goes back to the band we're talking about today, because, yeah. right? Black Sabbath established all the visual tropes and everything for metal. Yeah. And you know, and they used gothic religious imagery and you know occultic stuff or whatever, and so that just sort of became what you did when you made metal music. Yeah. And so, like, because I a few years ago, I was sort of blown away when I found out that, um, so chaplain, the high school chaplain at my previous, uh, the upper school chaplain at the school I worked at prior to moving to Hawaii, um, was friends with, um, oh, what's his name? I can't remember his name right now. It was the, uh, the drummer for um, Iron Maiden. Okay. And found out that he was an evangelical Christian and sometimes played drums with the praise band at Spanish river church on Sunday morning. So like you could just go to church some Sunday and the drummer for iron maiden is playing drums. That's awesome. In a church service, which I wanted to get him on this podcast. I, I, I kept yeah. trying to like make the connection, but he apparently wasn't coming to Florida as much. So it's never really was able to work out. But okay. anyway, reading about that, I found out that like members of the band Slayer are like committed Christians. Really? Yeah, I think their singer is like a pretty diehard Catholic. There's a ton of, like, you can, like, look up, like, people in metal, like, in heavy metal that are very religious and very Christian. And it's pretty, it's not uncommon to have, like, these committed religious people making these, making albums that have, like, monsters and demons on the cover. And because they just sort of in their mind, like, this is just what you do. Mm -hmm. Because this is just part of the part of the aesthetic of of what we're doing here um i just i just it sort of blows me away because you know i grew up just like you did right you know i mean i had the i had a police officer once come into my school who was a member of our church and he talked about his past with heavy metal and the occult and i remember him putting up uh blue oyster cults um was it one enchanted night the one that has the grim reaper on the cover that's where um it's it's um, the album. It's one enchanted evening. It, no, no, that's the one that has like the magician. Or maybe they changed the cover. But anyway, Blue Oyster Cult. It's the album that has that had um, "Don't Fear the Reaper" on it. Right. And I remember being told like, "This is like Satan channeling music, <laughs> or whatever." And and then you know, obviously, a certain SNL skit came on, and I was introduced to Blue Oyster Cult through that skit, and I was like, "Wait, these guys aren't." This isn't devil music. <laughs> this is like in my head, I was thinking something that looked that sounded like that was like the audio equivalent of like a Cannibal Corpse album cover. Right. But you know, like, and then when I found out that Blue Easter Cold, of course, did um, that Godzilla song that yes. I had known, I was like, this is kind of so. I don't know. I, I and I, I do want to kind of talk about that because we are talking about the band that introduced me to metal today but cool. obviously not the iteration we're talking about today but that's yeah. still i want to kind of get into that <laughs> that would have been way too obvious i mean come on i mean black sabbath if i mean i, I could have done paranoid but it's like sold our souls for rock and roll or masters of yeah <laughs> um but uh yeah so today's album is heaven and hell by black sabbath uh chuck do you want to ask me the the, the questions yes yeah, so <clears throat> Should I ask him with a metal boy? <laughs> I'll answer in a Dio voice. <laughs> um, 
All right, so JP. Yeah. Uh, why did you pick Heaven and Hell by Black Sabbath? You know, I, I think it picked me, Chuck. Uh, mm. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, it, <laughs> mm, post, yes. Mm. Uh, two years ago, we did Oasis, a uh, really great album, and I was just trying to think of, like, I want to break out of the 90s. I don't want to be the 90s guy. And, of course, I did that by doing Nirvana the next year. So I was just kind of like, I, I was just sort of, I don't know, just sifting through um, 80s music. Just just kind of, you know, just feeling it out, whatever. Reading about metal. Um, um, and I just kind of just, I, I always thought, I've always known about this mythic figure known as Dio. Whomst I was introduced to in a brilliant cameo in Tenacious D's The Pick of Destiny. You are hungry for the rock, but to learn the ancient methods, secret doors you must unlock. And I don't know, I've always been sort of fascinated with like met the pageantry of metal. More mm -hmm. so than the pageantry of punk, I think. Um metal is so because I think that I think the difference is like punk tries to be like important, like we're doing something subversive here. We're 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 you know, we're actively participating. And, and standing against the man. Metal is just strictly performative. We know we're putting on right. a show. Right. Um, and I've always been drawn to that. And so, like, I was, I, I definitely, like, had in my head, like, one day I'm going to do a metal album. And so I just kind of did some research, you know, uh, and, I, and I, and I, I was really intrigued by this character, Dio. I, I've, I've heard his song, Holy Diver, which rules, and the music video rules even more. Um, uh, and I don't know. I just kind of put two and two together. I was like, well, what's, what's, what's Dio's deal? Like with Black Sabbath and stuff. And I just kind of did my research and I listened to Heaven and Hell. And I thought it was, it was really good. And so I just kind of kept it in, the, in my back pocket for a couple of years. You know, one day I'll come across this. I think I even put it on the Wheel of Mayhem last year. Yeah, you did. Yeah. And, um, so that was what we did. We did a good album and a bad album. Right. And I, I was just really intrigued by this idea that, um, you know, you had this legendary band, Black Sabbath. And up until this point, this was like their 10th album, right? As like a band. Something like that. Yeah. And so they were very, they were very prolific. Yeah. So they had nine, they had nine other albums. They were legends. You know, they created, they, they, they like you were saying, they essentially created metal and all the aesthetics that go with it. And um, now their legendary vocalist is out of the band and they need to find another guy. And they, they fired him because, you know, Ozzy was like out of control of drugs and stuff. <laughs> and so not 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 to say that the rest of the band were was like an AA meeting. Like they they had their, you know, they had their go to on a scale on a scale from like Pat Boone to Fleetwood Mac. Mm -hmm. Ozzy was about here. Yeah, <laughs> I do. Let, I'm sure flu. I think flu. I probably did way more drugs than Ozzy ever did. Oh no, totally. That's sort uh, of that's sort of a given. Is it? <laughs> that's funny. Um, but yeah, he got fired, and they brought in Dio, who he wasn't necessarily legendary status yet. Uh, but he was. He he had his own kind of status in his own right, like his, he was part of the band called Elf <laughs> and Rainbow. Um, they bring this guy in, and it's like usually when this happens, this is like a recipe for disaster. Like, yeah, it's usually gonna suck. I know Van Halen did it, and like people really, really don't like Sammy Hagar. Um, 
but that was also much later. Yeah, it was. So this is like a this is a this was sort of the first time that yeah. a sort of major band I mean that had a major following did something like this. I don't my my classic rock timeline is like I, I know nothing. So I don't know like when Def Leppard's people started dying off or, or like when like I don't well, that's all like that's all like the eighties. So okay. yeah, I mean because this album came in nineteen eighty. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. So you know, so there was you know, there was no Van Halen, there's no Metallica, there's none of these things, right? I mean right. the only I, I take it back. The other equivalent the probably the only other equivalent to this at the time was probably A C D C. Okay. I'm okay. trying to think when Back in Black came out. I feel like that was late seventies, but I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. It was eighties, wasn't it? I don't know. Like my timelines are bad. I don't know. Right, but the big difference, of course, though, is that you know their singer died. Yeah. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. So um, this was sort of. I think this was kind of. This I, again. I I really think this was. I mean, other bands, other other musical acts throughout history had traded out singers, but I feel like Black Sabbath had reached a certain level. I mean. You know, like I don't know if like Beatles level is the proper term, like Zeppelin level, maybe. I mean, I think I'm so. trying to think of like in their time. You know, they were huge and they had a huge following, and they were known. I mean, they were known for Ozzy Osbourne. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so the idea that, you know, the idea that Ozzy would leave. I mean, to like a '90s kid, it'd be like replacing Kurt Cobain and Nirvana without him dying. Right. Yeah. Which I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to say something play a little armchair psychologist or something for a moment here. But okay. I realized the one of the first albums you ever picked for one of our early albums for Music Mayhem, not the first one, but the but I think your second one was you picked Foo Fighters Color in the Shape. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I know that wasn't their first album, but it's interesting that you now for two Music Mayhems have gravitated toward like these bands that have had to switch things up. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, that, I mean, that's been like a constant thing in my life. Not not to not to derail. To play a little psycho, play a little uh, a little 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 psychology here for a second. J- exploring JP's psyche. But when I was a kid growing up, I was always the new kid. Mm-hmm. My parents and I were always moving, school to school to school until like high school when I only changed schools once. Whereas, like, in middle school, I must have gone to five different middle schools. (laughs) One of my biggest, like, kind of anxieties is just sort of, like, staying the same. Like, staying, like, planted in one place for too long. And, you know, and and we've had this talk about, we did an episode on endings, right? And I came to this conclusion that, like, like, I don't think things should exist into perpetuity. I think things should either change drastically or just, like, just end it. And just let people revisit it when when they want to, you know? Right, right. <clears throat> there's also, there's also in these kinds of conversations, I always think of the, you know, it can be, it thanks to uh, WandaVision brought back into the pop culture consciousness, the uh, the parable of Theseus, the ship of Theseus. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. You know, this idea of like, at what point, at what point is a band no longer, <laughs> you know, like once they've replaced everybody? Yeah, you know, and it's like, funny. I, I thought about the Shiva Theseus while reading about Black Sabbath last night and how many times like band members were just were just like coming in and out and stuff. I'm like, yeah. well, when does it stop being Black Sabbath? <laughs> yeah, Bluish Occult, another one that's had that experience too. Yeah, I think even like Kiss a little bit here and there, but 
Yeah, or, or like Def Leppard. Like I was just talking about Def Leppard. Like didn't they have like, aren't they just like just completely different people now, heading up that band? <laughs> Probably. Like, yeah. Um. So yeah, I don't know. There is something about that, but but also just I I think that like in a story in someone's story that moment where you have to like change I think is like just a very powerful it's a powerful story to tell mm-hmm. and um, that is why I chose is because I think the story of this iteration of of, of Black Sabbath it, it shouldn't have worked but it did and it, it skyrocketed the vocalist and uh, into into superstardom like Dio became a legend because of Heaven and Hell. Um, some people were saying like they should just change the band's name to Heaven and Hell after that. <laughs> yeah, kind of like what Audio Slave did, right? And which eventually he did, like in the two thousands, they did a little tour, and they referred to themselves as Heaven and Hell. It was like Dio and Tommy Iommi, and um, was Geezer still there? I don't think so. Oh, okay, I don't remember. Uh, so that's why I chose it. I thought it'd be, uh, cool to explore something that probably shouldn't have worked, but, uh, but, but did in a very big way. Uh, and it kind of created this, created a new legend out of an already established legend, which I think is cool. Hmm. So, yeah. Um, and I think it's in the album too. I think it's in the album. I think you see it. I have some some tinfoil hat theories in some of these okay. lyrics, so we'll go okay. over that. <laughs> All right. So tell me about uh, your history with Black Sabbath, then. Okay, I don't have much of a history. Like I've always known, I've always known who Ozzy is, for as long as I can remember. I just always known he's the guy who eats bats, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know about him as a kid. The guy ate a bat, ate a bat's head, and snorted a row of ants. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Oh God. And and pissed on the Alamo. I come from Texas, oh, yeah. so we know that you know we yeah. we know we have history there. Uh, <laughs> um, and you know, I, I grew up watching uh, the Osbournes, of course, on MTV. Mm-hmm. Um, which was awful. Which made which made the Prince of which made the Prince of Darkness into a cuddly grandpa. Yeah, exactly. Um, but which also was the devil's that was a devil's work right there. That he was trying to do <laughs> he was trying to do JP, but also made a case for like just don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> yeah, there's no re- you're watching this this reality show with this man and like there's no reason this guy should be alive right now. <laughs> to be fair, he also learned during that process that he was like being crazy over medicated by his doctor. Oh wow, really? Yeah, because oh, I guess the story goes he watched uh, he watched uh, you know they. I, they didn't like sit down and watch their own show, right? So like he he watched an episode. It was a couple years into the show, yeah. And he saw himself, and he said to Sharon, "He's like, is this really how I act? Wow, you know, or is it just creative editing, or is this really how I act?" And she's like, "You know, it's fairly accurate." And so anyway, they just he's like, "I don't think this is right." And so they found out that his doctor was over prescribing him. How about that uh, that private uh, that private healthcare? Not so great after all, huh? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> that also kind of reminds me. There's this video. Quick tangent. There's this video uh, that I really want to do like a commentary on. That's like a uh, 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 some kind of special MTV did when the Phantom Menace dropped, and and Lucas uh, um, Skywalker Ranch invited a bunch of celebrities of the time to come and like watch Phantom Menace where everybody else did. Uh, but they're they're interviewing all these like celebrities and they're talking about Star Wars and it's definitely before like nerd culture was a thing so they're all, all a little embarrassed they're talking about Star Wars and MTV. They they see Ozzy Osbourne coming out of the theater, 
and they asked him, Ozzy, what do you think about Star Wars? What do you think about Phantom Menace? My son just went out, just went out and bought some of the new, new spaceships and all that. And what's confusing me, that the space, this is supposed to be the first one that happened before the last lot. Right. Yet the spaceships seem to me to look more modern now than the other. It's kind of confusing. <laughs> He's just left confused over, like, why, why is technology advanced in the prequels? Of course, if I were there, I'd be like, well, Ozzy, you know, in the, in the post-Empire age, it, was, it became more industrial and less handcrafted. And yeah, so anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, I was never like a like an enormous Black Sabbath fan. I liked the hits, you know, Crazy Train. I loved always. Not a Black Sabbath song. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure that's off of uh, Ozzy's first solo album, Call Up the Moon. Okay. All right. Well, see. This is what I'm talking about. I don't have much of a relationship. I just gotta know who Ozzy is. Um, Look, you know, you're 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 like that. You're like one of those fangirls. You you saw you saw the T-shirt on Tony Stark, yeah. and you wanted to go buy it at the Hot Topic. And I now did. every time you go out to a bar, you have you have guys coming up to you and being like, "Oh yeah, well, what's your favorite song?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. Name name three Black Sabbath songs. Made before but, 1980. But none of the ones that are in none of the ones that are in Marvel movies. <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> probably couldn't answer that. Anyway, um, so yeah, not much of a, of a relationship. My relationship with metal though is a bit more interesting because I've always tried to get into it, but I never quite could. And we've we've even talked about this. We're like, I'll I'll just like scare them. Like I want to listen to metal. I want to get. In. I, I love I love metal memes. Like I said, I'm really attracted to the whole pageantry of it. I love that they put on a show. I think it's really cool. I love the fantasy aspect, fantasy and like, uh, and and rock together. Um, it just well, seems of course, like. Talks of, of course, I mean, you're getting into a little bit of a thing of, of what type of metal we're talking about here. Of course, now, of course, yeah. Right? Um, you know, because I, I, because you know, there is of course you have your 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 your, your, your black metal. You have right. Your, you have your um, doom your, metal, your hair metal, yeah. your glam metal, doom metal. Yeah. So um, I have uh, I have seen the darkness in concert, which is of course a hair metal band and a uh, bit of glam rock as well. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you, man, that I, I saw him at a I saw him at where did I see him? It was like House of Blues or something. It was like a small venue, but man, do they know how to fill a space with just like yeah. attitude and like you said, theatrics and the whole thing. It just ah. Uh, I like that they're not shy about it. They're not like they're not trying to pretend that like it's important, and they're also not like not caring. Like they know it's a show, and they're putting on a show. I like that. I like Joey that. Joey Hawkins that had on a, Joey Hawkins had on a zebra print unitard that was like cut <laughs> down to here, Sick. and just like it was, oh, it was so awesome. He climbed up on the balcony and jumped into the crowd, and yeah, jo- Justin and Joey. It was just a good show. Yeah. So like, I know what you're saying. Like metal has that. Right. right, and then you get then when you get into like the, the more of the like death metal and and you know there's a, you know there's a there's a dark fantasy like demon souls kind of medieval yeah thing going on that's just and I think that has lots of the fact that I was like when I was a kid I was like a huge fan of Jack Black, like mm-hmm. I I loved like Tenacious D, I loved all of his movies and stuff when I was in high school and like high, and like Jack Black was always he's always talking about metal he's always like riffing on metal he's always parodying metal in his songs and he was kind of a little bit of my gateway drug into like the whole pageantry of it but i could never find a band that i liked i can never i like i would listen to like a like slayer or something i'm like okay i, I get it but i'm not i don't know i'm not, I'm not moved 
you know, like when I, when I decided, when I looked into punk and wanted to get into punk, like that was awesome. And I loved everything I listened to and it really mm-hmm. excited me and energized me. Metal, I don't know. I just never, there was never a band presented to me that I could like latch onto until this album. Uh, so, because I get it because I watched, I watched a performance of Heaven and Hell on YouTube last night and I just suddenly felt super depressed because like I'm never going to experience this in person. This looks so amazing. This would have been so awesome to see because Dio sadly has left this world. Right. I think 10 years ago. Uh, but yeah, so that's, I don't know. That's my history with with Black Sabbath and metal. Not 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 much there. <laughs> so, right, so I'll 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 share my my sure my go ahead. With Black Sabbath, which I may have shared in the podcast before. I don't know, but I um. So you know, I also grew up in a very conservative Christian household, yeah. and I um you know was told you know by various factors you know that Ozzy Osbourne styled himself as the Prince of Darkness, as yeah. Satan. Um, that Black Sabbath is the most satanic musical group on the planet, and just I just also just want to say, Ozfest happened every year just down the street from my apartment, and I and I was always just so depressed that I couldn't go. <laughs> just down the street, I could hear them every yeah. year. Anyway, go ahead. But yeah, so so you know, I grew up with you know, I mean, I grew up in the wake of of you know the um, oh, what's that book? We've talked about this book a little bit. The the one about like. Is it the Devil's Toy Chest or something? Like the Devil's Toy Chest, yeah. and um, there's the other one about like Saturday morning cartoons, and you know, He Man and the Masters of the Universe. There's only one Master of the Universe, um, right? You know, all you know, Chick Tracks, that whole thing, right? The fear of Dungeons and Dragons and the occult, and the and you know, and I think I've shared before. You know, I used to have. I wish I kept it. I used to have this book that like actually it was published like in the late '70s, and it actually had like a descriptor of like what to look for in your child's room to see if they're building a, an altar to Satan. <laughs> and it was like involving things like obsidian knives and <laughs> like, where did you just, the, the store with the pewter dragons does not sell the obsidian knives. So I don't know where you're going to get it. I can't so, get a volcanic ash dagger. Sorry. Yeah. So, um, but you know, so I grew up, this is the world I grew up in. And so it was all taboo. And so of course, right. It had an allure. Right. But I was also the kind of kid, cause you know, obviously I'm a priest now. Right. So like I've always been, felt drawn to ordained ministry. So always afraid that like, if I crossed a threshold, right, that it would be detrimental to my soul. So like, I never, you know, like, you know, my friends, when we started learning guitar, a couple of my friends were really, you know, they were really into Zeppelin because, you know, Jimmy Page, of course, is just like all time guitarist. Right. So, um, so that was like when I started getting, you know, exposed to some of this stuff. Of course, listened to punk, loved punk. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely a punk kid. Um, but metal just seemed like it took it to a level, you know, that just took it to a place that <laughs> there was, you know, no, no, you know, no return. Right. Right. But then, you know, I started surfing and I started getting into like the surfboards in the seventies. Um, and so I started, and that coincided with a bunch of stuff happening at my church where like, you know our pastor's extracurricular activities caught up to him. And there was a lot of things that happened, um, a lot of hypocrisy exposed. And so I started rebelling against that environment a bit. And that was also around the time when LimeWire and, 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 and file sharing stuff was really big. And so I decided to kind of rebel against this stuff. I like, you know, I've been told, you know, I was told all this stuff was wrong and bad, but look at the, what's happened to the people that, believe this stuff. It's like, I'm going to investigate it myself, right? Some people experiment with drugs. 
I experimented with music <clears throat> and some drugs. So I, uh, so I downloaded all the kind of music that, all the kind of music that I wasn't supposed to listen to. So like I downloaded Blue Oyster Cult. I downloaded Black Sabbath. I downloaded, you know, like just early metal, right? Like that kind of thing. Um, and I remember the first time I listened to the first Black Sabbath song that I, well, I take it back. I used to listen to, when I drive around sometimes, I'd listen to uh, Orlando's rock station, WJRR, Just Rock and Roll. Hell yeah, dude. And there was a song that would play that I thought was awesome. And it was sort of a punky song. Um, and I was never really sure who it was. And then I later found out it was Paranoid by Black Sabbath. So I was like, oh, well, I like this and it's Black Sabbath. Oh no, but Satan didn't come eat my soul. So maybe it's not all terrible. So I downloaded, I downloaded it. So I had heard Paranoid and loved it. Then I remember when I listened to, when I listened to Iron Man for the first time and I was like prepared, you know, for like the demons to come out of the shadows or something. <laughs> and I'm listening to this song and I'm hearing that it's about friggin' time travel and about a guy who's traveled through time and it's created a magnetic field that caused like all this metal to bond to his body. And so he's just biding his time for the magnetic field to wear off so he can like kill everyone. Yeah. It's a horror movie, right? It's a sci-fi horror movie. And I'm like, there's, this is, this isn't satanic. How can like a song about time travel be demonic? Right. So then I'm, then I listen to war pigs and that song changed my politics. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you know, like, Oh, this is about Nam. Like, this is about, yeah. this is, this is, this is the, this is raging. This is, you know, and I later learned from an interview with Alice Cooper, that, like this whole movement was of metal and all of that was in the early seventies was reacting to the fact that like the hippie love stuff didn't change anything. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, all these soldiers that had returned to Nam had seen these horrible things. And so like, this was a way to channel their depression and their rage at what they had experienced. That's so um, into a interesting. That's so interesting to me, Chuck, because I feel like that's like that's like the leftists versus the liberals on Twitter, mm -hmm. where leftists feel that the whole like liberal way of like kind of doing things isn't changing and doing anything. So the leftists want to be more aggressive and more ironic and more bullish. Right, and that's kind of it, right? Because the whole thing, right? The whole all. Of, so here's the thing for any of you like conservative people listening to this, and if you've been told about like metal being satanic, I mean, without a doubt, some metal musicians are occultic and satanic people. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But the whole aesthetic of it was originally tongue in cheek. It was all kind of none. They knew that it made people mad, and so that's why they did it. Um, and uh, you know, so. So, you know, anyway, I, um, but that's, yeah, that's the thing about how metal gave, you know, first came out was it was this, you know, and it was, it was born out of hard rock groups. So one of the first hard rock groups that I remember really liking, um, from that time period was, um, the, um, was the Motor City Five, MC Five, with their song Kick Out the Jams. Um, the, the recording, it was one of the first like major rock songs to have the F word in it. And, um, um, uh, it was recorded, the version that you hear was recorded at the 1968 Democratic National Convention, which, of course, is a big flashpoint for the counterculture um, at the time where the left was was, was upset with LBJ and the Democrats for not being more, you know, anti-NOM. But anyway, yeah, so like metal was born, you know, out of these, you know, this was, you know, Ozzy Osbourne and Tony Iommi and, 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 and Geezer Butler, like these guys all grew up in like the neighborhoods that made the Beatles Liverpool look good. Mm -hmm. Right. And they yeah, it was Birmingham, right? 
Birmingham? Yeah. So it's just these which I've been busted to. out. Huh? Which I've I've been to. I've been to Birmingham in the UK. All right. Yeah, cool. so it was like at their time it was this busted, you know, husk of like you know, Rust Belt. It was yeah. the working the class. Of, yeah. Working class, but like at the tail end of like as you know, industry is changing, right? And then these guys are all sent off to fight in Nam and die, you know. I mean, we forget that Nam affected the British as well. So you know, so like when when Ozzy Osbourne sings in War Pigs, when he sings that, um, you know, that the people, what is it? What's the line? He says, um, um, he's talking about the people who are sort of in the boardroom planning war. It says, why should they go out and fight? They'll leave that up to the poor. Mm-hmm. I just remember, you know, eighteen year old me hearing this and being like, yes, like they get it right. Yeah. So. So that's that was my exposure to. I've always been more prone toward early metal. Mm-hmm. Um, I love old Black Sabbath. Yeah. Um, one of their early, I can't remember which album it is. It's, I think it might be Masters of Reality, that has. It has War Pigs. I think maybe that maybe not, but I know one of the songs it has on there is. Um, uh, there's a one of their albums has a song that's like it's a pro-Christian rapture song is it children like, of the grave no 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 no. like ozzy wrote like a full-on christian really? song it's hilarious but it's like a couple know. of tracks away from sweet leaf which is a song about marijuana smoking <laughs> um but um but yeah then um but in terms of like wider metal since you brought it up you know i i you know i in college of course i was obsessed with the darkness right and the whole like hair metal resurgence and the ironic listening of heart of hair metal and you know what that was all about because it's just how ostentatious and arrogant these people were it's just a fascinating thing um but yeah so my, my history of black sabbath is all ozzy right so this is actually the first time that i ever listened to well the whole album of heaven and hell during those times when i was illegally downloading music from the internet <laughs> i did find black sabbath and i saw children of the sea that sounds like an interesting song and i downloaded it and i was like wait this isn't ozzy who's this um but i love that freaking song it's a great song yeah um and uh and i just that was also around the time that i was really into south park for the first time and i can sort of hear i told you the other day like i hear trey parker's voice in this and this is what my feeling about this we'll get into it a little bit about this album but i sort of feel like Dio Dio set the standard for what a metal vocalist sounds like. Definitely, totally. In this album, and, and also the, part- the the way they do the vocals, where it's like not along the riff, it's across the riff. Yeah. Um. This is this this set that standard, and this is the thing that like Jack Black, Trey Parker, anybody who's doing some kind of like tongue in cheek metal, right? You know. Uh, posturing, they're channeling Dio. Right. Yeah. Um, and so, like that's so that's sort of a fascinating thing to talk about with this album. But I, I will I will say that I and I know we're gonna get more general thoughts later. But I, do, I will say that to me though, the sound of this album is a functionally different sound to everything else of Black Sabbath that came before. To the point that I think they probably should have changed their name. Yeah. But um, because I think Black Sabbath had established itself as this sort of apocalyptic band and i think that dio having come from a band called elf (laughs) 
yeah. brought it much more into the Tolkien-esque fantasy realm, which yes. of course is more is where metal then later kind of Mythic. went. Which of course is also drawing from, which is definitely drawing more from like Led Zeppelin than yeah. other things. But we can get into that. But yeah, it's definitely uh, a mythic album. It's like an epic poem. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's get into it. The first track on Heaven and Hell by Black Sabbath. And I think we could do all of them <laughs> because there's only short, like... A minute album, short. Yeah, it's like eight songs. When it was um, over, when it was over, I was like, oh, it's done. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, before we get into it, I do want to say, I told you before we started recording, I only got a chance to listen to it once. Okay. Um, and so I didn't get to really pay much attention to it. I was a bit, I was not as impressed but we'll, we'll we'll get into that a little bit. Like, so I can give more. I can speak more, more authoritatively to like some general thoughts. Okay. I can also speak for probably another hour on Children of the Sea. <laughs> okay. Well, I want to get a, into that because I have some. I have some tinfoil hat theories on that song. Okay. Um. Uh, but. But let's so, let's talk uh, about Neon Knights real quick. I loved it. I think it's. Yeah, it, I think it's opener. a brilliant opener. Um, because just how fast it is. Like we're getting right into. It. We're just like we're just busting in, and showing them what we got without Ozzy. <laughs> this new this new iteration of this band. Um, and on top of that speed, like I like I mentioned earlier, and I, and I read about I read about this in Wikipedia, but it, but apparently the way Ozzy sang his lyrics was like along with the guitar riffs, right? So it's like. When he's singing, um, Iron Man, yeah, exactly. Yeah, but Dio is going across them, so he's not necessarily singing along with the riffs. He's letting the riffs do their own thing, and he just comes in with his his lyrics and the way he does, and just like freaking belts them out. Um, and so they're doing that. They do that right away, like straight away. So like straight away, someone who's like a huge, you know, Black Sabbath fan. They hear this song and instantly it's like, what, 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 what? It's probably really jarring, right? Well, yeah, because I mean, Ozzy is not, Ozzy is not known for being, you know, like he doesn't have like range. Yeah. Right. He's got a distinctive voice. Right. Right. Nobody sounds like Ozzy Osbourne. Yeah. Right. He's, he sounds like a horror movie, right? Like he's just got that, like he's got a great sound for a great voice for what box. Sounds doing. like a banshee. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but he's, you know, you don't think of Ozzy Osbourne as just like a great vocalist. You know what I mean? Right. Like in that classic sense of a vocalist. But like Dio, my gosh. Because he, he grew up singing opera, that guy. Yeah. Uh, got to start, I think, uh, I think his first, his first, his first uh, instrument was a trumpet. And also learning to sing opera and stuff. Um, well, similar to like, it just sort of makes me think, is that uh, some people don't realize that like Michael Bolton got his start. In a metal band. Oh, really? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. So, like, like what, what kind of metal are we talking about here? Are we talking about hair metal? It's a hair metal band. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, so there is a there is a there. Is, that's why he had that long mane of hair for so long. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, you know, but there is this there. So with Dio, there is you know he's part of this heritage of you know metal vocalists actually having classical training. 
Yeah, and it also, I mean, I, something I noticed about a lot of hardcore metal fans is that they also seem to be really big fans of like classical music. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you know that Dio, that's part of Dio influence as well, is bringing in that sort of sense of classical music, like 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 it's it's real music. It's not just you know a scene. Speaking of which, have you listened to Christopher Lee's metal albums? No, I haven't. No. Oh, yes, I have. It's been a while because I heard about them years ago. But yeah, I have heard them. That's yeah. Oh, we should. To me, that's a great blending. Someone should put that in the Wheel of Mayhem this year. <laughs> That'd be cool. Just throwing it out there. Um, so the the, the the second thing that struck me was fantasy lyrics right away. Yeah. And I and I've never like really experienced that before. Of listening to like that kind of the the overlapping a genre of metal and fantasy. And so to hear lyrics like, like this verse, circles and rings, dragons and kings, weaving a charm and a spell, blessed by blessed by the night, holy and bright, called by the toll of the bell, bloodied angels fast descending, moving on a never bending light, phantom figures free forever, out of shadows shining ever bright. It's the nerdiest shit I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> it sounds like it's... <laughs> it sounds like a D and D. It does. It sounds like a DD manual. It sounds like that. Like I don't like if someone was like parodying D and D like in an eighties movie, and like some nerdy kid like yelled that out to like a bully or something. Like <laughs> I don't know. Here's here's the thing. I, you know, I, I mentioned you know, kind of I felt a little underwhelmed with the album, and I think part of me with this is I had a hard time, and maybe I've listened to it a few more times, and I plan on listening to it again because I, 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 I it, it's an enjoyable album, but I think it suffers from the same thing that like that like people are afraid of with Dune okay. as a film adaptation or the way that like John Carter of Mars, well, John Carter, he has a Disney styled it, that it, you, when you watch some, when you watch this or whatever, you see how other things, you see how other things have, you know, been derived from it. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't feel fresh and original. And I think, you know, I'm listening to this and like lyrics like that, at first they come across as like, Oh, you're trying way too hard, <laughs> but they were the first. Yeah. No one else is doing that. Right. So, you know, so it, it's, it's a different, it's a different thing. Uh, when you think, I mean, obviously, right. You know, Led Zeppelin had pioneered some of this a little bit with like Misty mountain hop. Yeah. Right. Which full on talks about hanging out with Frodo and Gollum. <laughs> right. Um, but, um, but yeah, this was, yeah, so listening to it, there was a bit of like the whole time I was just thinking, I'm like, man, they really did with this album set the stage for what metal would become. Yeah. Like, so it definitely took it to the next level, right? Like, Black Sabbath had already set the, the sort of doom occultic element of metal, mm-hmm. and then this brought in the fantasy medieval mythology. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I caught that. I, I started catching that right away. So yeah. Yeah. Um. So I, I just think, you know, straight away, like, this is something new. It's epic. It's fantasy. It's quick. And, um, you know, so many people scoff at this iteration of Sabbath because it's not, like, real Sabbath, right? Um, but it's – but like I said before, like, you, you, you have to – there you has to be some change if you're going into perpetuity. If you, you, right. you've, you've already had nine, nine albums, what else is there to do? It sort of makes me think of – you know, so Blink-182, a band I actually really love, um, that, uh, you know, they came up with Enema of the State, which was enormous when we were in high school. Yeah. 
Um, and then they followed that up, followed that off up with, I can't believe I'm going to say the title of this album on a, on a podcast while dressed in clerical attire, <laughs> take off your pants and jacket. Yes. I have that. <laughs> um, yeah. which it sounds like people were accusing it of self parody that they, it just sounded like they were just doing another thing, you know, just a sort of redoing enema of the state and what had come before. And I remember like hearing that and I was like, yeah, I heard the album. I was like, it's, it didn't sound all that original. And then when, in 2003, they came out with, um, their self-titled, which has, you know, goth elements in it. And, you know, it has, you know, like, um, I miss you, you know, all that stuff that, that, you know, there was, they had to shake it up. They had to make a change. And then of course that ended up becoming like more or less the last, you know, well-received liquid two album. Um, before they lost Tom DeLonge to Angels and Airwaves. Right. But I um, I think that, um, but like, but I'm with you on this, that after a while, right, things get stagnant and you just get the same, you, you run the risk of this, you just releasing the same album over and over again. Right. Um, and yeah. to, some kind of a change had to happen. And I don't know that I believe in like going back to the basics. Like, I don't, I don't think people can actually go home again. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think Blink-182 can ever be... Uh, you know, what's my age again? Blink-182. Well, they're like in their 40s. It just doesn't yeah, work. exactly. Like, and people keep wanting this for Star Wars. I'm like, you can't. It'll never be yeah, that well, ever again. Well, what is it? Uh, or Star Trek, the same way. Yeah, what is it? D. Snyder, D. Snyder once said that, like, it's not interesting to sing about growing old. Yeah. But the only, per- but the only person who can do it is Paul Simon. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's no, but I'm, I'm with you on that. I think that, I think that, yeah, things have to, you know, things either have to end or they have to change. And while I think that stylistically, I think, I think, you know, like I said, it probably would have been a better decision for them to have changed the name to heaven and hell and toured like that. And I understand from a marketing probably. standpoint, it's better to keep the black Sabbath name, yeah. but what they accomplished with this is I think you know obviously very important mm-hmm. um, in the in the annals of music history, particularly of metal history. Right. And yeah, so people say, oh, it's not real Black Sabbath, and I'm you know I I sympathize with that, right? I, it's not real Black Sabbath. The same way that I feel like Sammy Hagar iteration of Van Halen is a very different band than the David Lee Roth version of Van Halen. Right. Yeah. But does that mean it's bad? No. Not at all. But it's necessary. But I, and I also think it's interesting that this song has the lyric, hold on, good things never last. Mm-hmm. See, I think I think even Dio, who I, who wrote most of the lyrics, is even kind of in on sort of saying, like, things are changing, get used to it. Right. Um, so I, 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 I developed a system, Chuck. I think, I might, I think I'm going to, to rate these songs. Now, by this rating, you will not know which one I think is the best. Okay. So I think, I think I'm justified. And also because I just think it'd be funny to do it. Anyway, I give this song, Neon Knights, uh, four and a half metal horns. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Children of the Sea. Now, this is the one Look you out. just want to <laughs> look out. I think I first listened to this song on my iPod while on a road trip to Georgia by myself. Okay. And I about I about 
swerved up the road laughing at the lyrics because I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh. I had to be like 2002. Mm-hmm. And like this song sound, like I immediately told Keelan, I was like, dude, you have to listen to this song. It sounds like, it sounds like what you would airbrush on the side of a van. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, the, the the lyrics make no sense. In the misty morning, on the edge of time, what? <laughs> That's the what edge I... of time? What is the edge of time? What is the, what does that even mean? Yeah. I've been pondering that lyric for like twenty years. <laughs> they lost the sun, Chuck. They lost the sun. The final sign. <laughs> the final sign. <laughs> um, I mean, I I I, I love it. It's I... like the demon dance and rush to nevermore. It's I... another one. Like I... what what. What even are you saying, Rod, Ronnie James Dio? I had that written down here totally, yeah. Um, and we did the demon dance. I mean, we I sailed across the air before we learned to fly. We thought that it could never end. We'd glide above the ground before we learned to run, run. Now it seems our world has come undone. I did a little research, and apparently the song is supposed to be about environmentalism. Okay. About how, uh, we, how humanity kind of meddles with nature or we sort of advance technology without like understanding what the consequences are to it. And we have to deal with those consequences and whatnot. Awesome. And then, and looking at it that way, it makes it a kind of a, you know, you said black Sabbath is very apocalyptic. I could see this mm-hmm. as a very apocalyptic song. Yeah. I yeah. love this. song. It's like, a, I mean, it's like an epic poem and I love his vocals in it, <laughs> but I have a, I have a theory about this song, Chuck. You know, we, we've talked about, like, we didn't really talk that much about what happened to Black Sabbath and, like, why they had to get Dio. I mean, we talked about the drugs. Ozzy Osbourne snorted a line of rat or snorted a line of, of, of ants on the side of the road, and people were like, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's, it, you know, they say it's about environmentalism, about our responsibility, and, like, how we've kind of gone too far. But you could tie, kind of tie it into, like, the band being sort of introspective about why they got rid of Ozzy that they themselves started to feel like lost children of the sea because they had done too much. They'd gone too far. They'd flown too close to the sun, you know? Hmm. Um, and so they kind of had to like bring themselves back because it, it, it got to a point where like they were just high and drunk all the time, even when they were recording or when they were on tour and stuff. And um, that uh, getting rid of Ozzy is maybe the most responsible thing they've ever had to do as a band. <laughs> um so maybe not just about environmentalism. Maybe they felt like lost children to the sea when they were out of control. Maybe. And 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 Dio is 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 here to save us. Right. Which Dio the day. Yeah. Exactly. Which also has resonance with Deo God. I mean, listen, listen. This is the this is the lyrics. So I kind of backs up my theory. Okay. Listen. Okay. Okay. We made the mountains shake with laughter as we played. See, I think of like children playing, but I never thought about like a band playing. Hiding in our corner of the world. Then we did the demon dance and rushed to nevermore. Threw away the key and locked the door. Dude, come on. I'm seeing it, actually. Apparently, like, this song was in production, like, before the, while Ozzy was even part of the band. Like, Ozzy was still part of the band when they were producing this song, apparently. I mean, I think it was like a completely different song, but... Uh, there's apparently there's apparently some recording in existence somewhere of Ozzy singing a early version of this song. Okay, yeah. But it all got reworked. Yeah, 
when mm-hmm. Dio came in. So I, I think you might be onto something here that it, on a subconscious level. Yeah. The whole album is actually about like we're we're carrying taking on taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. Taking responsibility and, and, and I mean even and, the title, we're experiencing heaven and hell. Yes, exactly. Totally. Um, anyway, it's, it's an epic song. It's beautiful. I love like the slow burn nature of it. I love that it's like a it's it's like a it's a ballad before they were before like power ballads were a thing and stuff. Um, I love the production value. Like, there's like chimes and like a little bit of a choir here and there. Um, and Tony Aomi's yeah. guitaring guitar work is yeah. I, I I don't really know anything about Tony Iommi, even though I know he's like a he was like a very powerful force in in the band, both behind the scenes and just you know just for, he, as a guitarist. He created the sound of hard rock by yeah. turning up the gain on his amp. Basically, I mean he yeah he played a he played an Epiphone oh, guitar. Is it? I had a friend who used to have that guitar. He used to be so jealous of it because it's it was like the Tony Iommi's guitar. Um, Tony Yuma also, by the way, used to uh, keep the top strings um, long, so it looked like devil horns. Um, nice, but uh, yeah, I mean Tony Yuma is a legendary guitarist, man. I mean he created the sound of heavy metal. I mean he sounded that you know the the sound of guitar. Yeah, like that's Tony Yomi. Nobody was doing that before him. Sick. Um, and then you know, but he was you know he played these blues riffs, like heavily distorted blues riffs, and that's the sound of metal. Because mm-hmm. I mean, if you listen to if you listen to the early Sabbath stuff, I mean, it's it's all blues music, right? Yeah. Um, What's that and, one uh, Yeah, but like, yeah, and then and then you know he started to kind of with this album, they started to kind of get a little squealy with the guitars, which is where which is the next iteration of metal that the '80s was all about was the you know less distorted, bright guitar, but like. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of solos, right? This song has a great solo in it. Yeah, definitely. Oh gosh, there's so many solos. Like every, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure. Like, is this is this where like the concept of a, of like a metal solo came from? Well, I mean, the metal solo really begins with Jimmy Page. Okay. Guitar, like extended guitar solos, come from Jimmy Page. But um, yeah, that'd be an interesting question. Where does the metal guitar solo really originate? Yeah, I know that punk is like vehemently against the solo. Yes. <laughs> um, that's interesting. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about in terms of children's? Yeah, I've, I've said my part. I've said my part as well. Okay. Uh, five metal horns, by the way. Five metal horns, okay. It's five out of five. That's, that's, yeah. Okay, the next one is Lady Evil, which I guess is sort of supposed to be kind of more of a bluesy song. And uh, I got to say, I'm not, was not super impressed with it. I mean, you got me all kind of hyped up on this sort of mythic fantasy aspect of it all these two opening songs and i guess yeah you got to come down at one point in the album and sure now is a pretty good time to just do a song about like a like an evil woman and it's still kind of mythic. Witch, I mean, man yeah what yeah. a great it's, i love the song yeah um but uh i think the lyrics are still fun because this still does have that kind of fantasy poem quality to it um this one... but i don't think it hits as different as as um uh, as the other songs, mostly because of the subject matter, it's like a, about a duplicitous woman that everyone should steer clear of. Like, okay, well, thanks. got it, sure. And that's actually what I was going to say is um, this is the one that I feel like has resonance with early Sabbath. I'm trying to find the song. There is an Ozzy era song 
about about a wicked woman. Uh, anyway, and it's but it, it, it this is the one like listening to this song, I was like, this sounds like something I could hear Ozzy sing. Okay, that's interesting. You know, um, without I mean, obviously, it's got this is I guess this, I guess I would say that this is the one that sounds the most like a Dio interpretation of a previous Black Sabbath song. Yeah. Okay. Whereas all the other stuff on the album sounds really new. This one is where there's, I think, a bit more continuity with what had come before. Um, Makes sense, I guess. And, um, and I, I mean, I, you know, I found it to be a memorable song. Um, really? What do you like about it? it? Yeah. Um, I, 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 the atmosphere. I liked, uh, you know, the, the, the just both of the, the first two verses, I think, gives us a very vivid description of where you can find these, find this evil woman. Um, and uh, I also couldn't help but listen to it and not think of the story of Dio's grandmother. Yeah. Like, is this, <laughs> like, is this the kind of stuff she said about these other women that he sort of, like, rolled into this song? Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, it feels like... Um... Like I feel like if they if this song ever got introduced into the public consciousness, it would be like in a Marvel movie, like starring a woman, and she's like suiting up in her tactical Marvel uniform. And Maybe it'll show song. up in Eternals <laughs> or the Marvels, which is the next Captain Marvel movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it's not as uh, on the nose. Yeah, um, I don't really have much to say about this one. I, I thought it was good. I'm not super impressed by it. You know, it wasn't like taken to a new dimension or anything, but it was it was passable. It's fine. I gave it uh, a gentleman's three metal horns. Okay, I'm trying to get I'm trying to get a sense of your hierarchy now. <laughs> okay. Oh, here we go. Heaven and hell. What can be said? This is the one that like, this is the one that like made Dio Dio, right? Like this is the one that basically made him a legend. Yeah. This song here, and, and he's even said that this is like the best song he's ever written. Oh um, wow, that's a bold claim because I mean, Holy Diver exists. I know, and Holy Diver is so good. I listened to a few songs on the Holy Diver album, and part of me was like, I should have chosen this album. Um. Maybe, maybe I'll put it on the wheel. Uh, we'll see, or a two-parter next year. Who knows? Um, but no, he's. I, th- I think he said that this is like his the best song he's ever written. And um, like I said, I, I watched a live performance of it on on YouTube, and I was just like, I've never felt so much envy for a crowd of people in my life because it just looked they are having all just so much fun. <laughs> And like the, the 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 lighting, and they had these like giant stone like towers, and like the, the the with the the drums up there, and like they kept hitting D with like red light every time he do this, and it was oh, it was so cool. So the so the stone towers were not at risk at, of being trampled upon by a dwarf. I do not for one think that the problem was that the band was down. I think that the problem may have been that there was a Stonehenge monument on the stage that was in danger of being crushed by a dwarf. See, that's the other thing is, I'm such a big fan of This Is Spinal Tap that like, I'm listening, I, 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 I'm just, all the tropes, all the things about <laughs> metal 
that I've more I'm more aware of through like comedy is like coming through listening to a lot of this album. Yeah, and so like I, it's I mean but this is where I don't know this to me though at the same time this this is fun. Yeah. Totally. This is, like, this is weird to say about a blackout about a about a metal album or a black sabbath album, but it's fun. I don't know that Black Sabbath's other stuff I would describe as fun. I wouldn't describe Iron Man as fun. I think I'd describe Iron Man as fun. Okay, maybe okay. I'll give you that. Maybe like, not like uh maybe not Warpigs. uh electric funeral. Uh, you know, the war pigs. Oh yeah, yeah, war pigs. Yeah. Oh gosh. So <laughs> we did a whole every... episode on war pigs. I know. Well listen, my my five year old son, many days when I get when I pick him up in the car to take him to school or take him from school, his question his first question is to me is, is Daddy, can you put on Black Sabbath? And he means <laughs> can you put on War Pigs? <laughs> That's awesome. The rules. You got a little metalhead. Oh my gosh, he's such a metalhead. You know what song he also really loves? Because we were I, I had this on and um and uh, it had finished when I went to pick him up from school the other day. Yeah. And it was on my YouTube music. And so it automatically just played whatever was next on the listing. Again, at that point, it just started to play like, music within the like genre of metal. Yeah. The next song was Iron Maiden's Fear of the Dark, mm-hmm. which he loves and <laughs> I love. I, I'm, of the, I'm, I'm of a feeling that might be the best metal song ever written. Yeah. Um, I don't think I know that song. I think what makes this song particularly epic is that it's all verse. There's chorus, but the chorus is just like it's on and on and on and on, heaven and hell, on and on and on and on. And then you have these like long verses and then the bridge at the end, which just like it just goes into like hyperdrive and like melts your face. The bridge is like my favorite part. So, I mean, I guess the song is supposed to be about, like, uh, or at least the verses are about, like, how there are contradictions of life. And Dio has said that it's a kind of about, like, religious people trying to tell people, like, how to live their lives. Like, you can either go to heaven or hell. And that you should be able to, you should choose your own path instead of going down paths that are dictated for you. It's basically saying, decide your own destiny. Don't be concerned with, like, supposed road guides that will take you to reward or ruin. You know, forge your own path instead of living a life of contradictions. Right. Like, I mean, I think, I, I, I don't know, ever since you threw in the idea that this album is potentially about their new direction and not what, you know, like, at least on some, some sub, subconscious level. Like, yeah. I'm just thinking about, like, the whole, like, heaven and hell, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. the life of a rock star is oh, heaven totally. and hell. Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, oh, my gosh. Even... Wait until we get to the end. I have some thoughts too. But Dio did all the lyrics, right? Uh, I I think he did like most of them. He is. Okay. I think there are some that like maybe. Uh, I mean, he he gets most of the credit for it. Right. If there are a few that like maybe he some other people. I think I think I think Tony Ami did some stuff too. But I, I think it's no, mostly I, Dio. I, I, one of the things I read that I love is that there was a period of time where. This bassist, who may or may not have actually occur- appeared in the recordings, claims that he is responsible for like every song on there. But then in like <laughs> later interviews, it's like, okay, I only really like partially wrote like this one song. <laughs> I think he's like, I think I contributed a baseline to Die Young or something like that. But, yeah. um, but you know, as we talk about the lyrics and you're and you're recounting the and you're and you're, you're quoting them to me, I'm just thinking about. Dio is an amazing lyricist. He is. He's great. He's a wonderful writer. And Sabbath as a band in all its iterations 
just has a great heritage of great lyricism. My favorite lyric is in the during the bridge, which is the best part of the song, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, the world is full of kings and queens who blind your eyes and steal your dreams. When you walk in golden halls, you get to keep the gold that falls. It's like trickle down economics, you know? Yeah, yeah. Reagan. I don't know. That's I, I love that. Well, and because yeah, he's, he's breaking through, like, you know, stopping these contradictions. Like, this is what they're trying. They're all trying to control you. And I wonder, you know, it's an, it, there's an interesting thought, too. Like, one of the things that, I guess because it was so, we were, 1980, like, the first few years of the 80s is a weird time that we don't generally think about as, like, you and I, right? Because we yeah. grew up. We grew up throughout the mid '80s and into the and into the '90s. Like our memories of the '80s are like the, yeah. you know, new wave, you know, fairly affluent thing, and then the cynicism of the '90s and all of that. We we don't really have a like we don't really have a frame of reference to try to truly understand what American culture, world culture was like at that time. That that window of like the end of Nam, the energy crisis, and then. Reagan and the rise of this and the rise and then like Thatcher in England, like this whole um, this whole period of time that like was basically this transition we went through in Western society where we went from a fairly liberal framework to just like really conservative. Yeah. Quickly. And it all predicated on the idea that you're going to make money. We're going to go back but to the 50s. Also, but also championed by televangelists. Yeah. And so, like, I'm wondering, this would be an interesting to think a little bit. This to me would be a, a thing to, I'd be, I'd like to think more on is whether or not, you know, a lot of rock music that was criticizing Christianity or the church prior to the 80s would have been directed at like the catholic church i'm wondering if this might be one of our first instances of criticizing like evangelical leaders who are like really popular on television i would definitely because say because i can see that element like when you're talking about this idea of kings and queens walking the halls with kings and queens right which yeah. a, an englishman talking about a king and queen takes on a very different you know, image than it does American hearing it. But the idea that when you're at the halls of gold, you get the gold that falls like that. This idea of, you know, this idea of like gold from heaven coming to you. If you just, I think, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, they're saying it's like a lie that if you just, if you just like accept the gold around you, you'll, you'll have it too. Right. That that became the big myth of, of the eighties, right? Like you'll be rich one day too. Right. But like the fact that that was so blended in with a particular kind of Christianity that was really popular on television. Right, right, right. That I just don't know that we've really, I think we're like just now as a society kind of properly critiquing. Yeah. I think so too. And I'm wondering if this album is that was actually a really early salvo in that critique or this song at least. I mean, I, I, I think know. it's like, I mean, I think, you know, him and, like, John Carpenter, right? When John Carpenter made, like, They Live, you kind of see you, – you're you're already in these circles because you're, you're an influential person. 
so you're around wealth and you're seeing how it's impacting society. And so he's kind of operating the same wavelength of being like, oh, he's trying, they're, they're trying to sell the people something. And um, you can see right through it. Yeah. So five metal horns. Five metal horns. What did uh, Children of the Sea get? Also five metal horns. Okay. Okay. Wishing well. Yep. It's a song. Now, okay. Yes, it is a song. It is a song. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting that we were having this talk about prosperity in mm-hmm. the 80s because that's that's what this whole song is about wishing well he's using yep. the imagery of throwing money and wishing well convey that money will buy you everything you desire which will make you happy right and that money can't right. buy happiness like that's 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 the premise of the song mm-hmm. it's it's strange because it's like i want to say on one hand, I'm like, okay, they're ditching the whole fantasy thing again. But on the other hand, it's like, oh no, now now they're just doing like a different kind of fan. Now it's like nursery rhymes, <laughs> like right. folky nursery rhyme kind of stuff about a wishing well. Um, I don't love it. Um, it doesn't feel like a song that would end up being very memorable or celebrated. Uh, I don't think anyone would get amped if they heard "Wishing Well" at a concert, like the one person. Yeah, this would be yeah this would wishing be well, yeah. This would be the, the bathroom break, get a beer song. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Smoke a joint. It's fine. I gave it two metal horns. Maybe that's being generous. I don't know. Do you have anything else you want to say about uh, Wishing Well, Chuck? I mean, you know, it really is the classic on this album. You're wrong <laughs> in all of your assessment of it. No, I have nothing to say. Um, I, I, we, can, we can talk about Die Young. Let's talk about Die Young, uh, which my, my first note is hell yeah. Yeah, that was honestly because like after like kind of like after heaven and hell i sort of felt a bit like the album was sort of blending into itself like it just sounded it didn't there wasn't really much definitely nothing about wishing well grabbed me but then when die young played you know i actually was paying attention to it um and it weirdly it makes me think of um is it a is there a, does it there's a kesha song about like dying young I don't know. Um, I think. And I just remember that they would blast it from the athletic fields at my previous school during like practices. Really? And I remember thinking like, this is kind of messed up to have like teenagers that are like prone to dying in like car accidents and stuff to like, yeah, I mean, that was my initial thought when I was listening to the song is this kind of like a thing where it's like all the cool people die when they're 27. You know, right, they didn't. They didn't become lame and turn thirty. Like, is it is it kind of building off of that premise? But no, apparently it's it's just about you know living in the moment. Yeah. By you the know, way, live for today. I do not understand the like the way people treat Amy Winehouse. Like, How do they treat her? I'm not really familiar. Well, like every now and then on social media, I see like some posts about like you know like oh hey, we've gone too soon, Amy Winehouse. Like there's this like treatment of her. Like they kind of they kind of elevate her to like almost like Hendrix or, or Joplin or something. And it's like, well, just because she died at 27 doesn't mean that she was, of she the died same... at 27. I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. Like, doesn't mean that she's of the same musical caliber. I don't, I don't know. It just, I, there's almost like this attitude that she was sort of like a spokesman of a generation that disappeared like too hmm. soon. But I'm like, well, she, 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 she sang about not wanting to go back to rehab. Yeah. 
that Smith baking. I don't know. It's just yeah, it seems kind of forced and manufactured. I don't know. If we have some fan that like feels that I'm super insensitive and it's gonna like chew me out, I guess you can do that. But um, I like your beehive haircut. That was cool. But um, anyway, just the, the, I was talking about like the whole idea of like living to you know that whole the cool people die at 27. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. That's a, it's a, it's an enduring thing in in a lot of rock music to like. But I wonder about like Sabbath singing. It's a very different thing at this point, right? Because they'd had a long career, right? They're in their they were like in their thirties or forties at this point, right? I mean, they weren't young men. I know Dio wasn't. He he was like born in nineteen forty two. Yeah. So he was kind of approaching forty. Yeah. So to sing a song "Die Young" gives a different feeling of like yeah. You know, and then again, getting back to your tinfoil nature of songs about the transition, right? Like. Mm-hmm living the way they were living they were gonna die young yeah <laughs> uh, but but the song i mean it's it's all about carpe diem yeah and it's definitely like the kind of song that like everyone or yolo just, yeah exactly it's it's that kind of saying it's something you could like shout while you're rocking out with your with your with your uh with your buddies in milwaukee and i don't know why i maybe it's because i i was just a huge fan of that 70s show but whenever i think about like metal concerts and stuff i always think of them performing in like places like milwaukee or like it's the midwest yeah there's something about <laughs> like i always think of like cows in the pasture and stuff i don't know like i feel like there was a whole scene in that region that was probably like the coolest scene to have ever existed in american pop culture and it was probably in the midwest in the 70s and classic rock was was thriving well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there were, you know, there were connections, right? I mean, the idea of like metal being born in Birmingham, England, in like busted, you know, industrial cities, right? And then, like Detroit, yeah, you know, I mean, you know, you just, I think maybe just there's a people recognized, right. you know, a similarity in what was going on there because of their environments, and that's one of the reasons why. Plus, I, I don't, I really, I'm going to preface what I'm about to say. I'm trying to not be one of those people who dismisses the middle of the continent. <laughs> yeah. You know, like calling it flyover states and all of that, right? Because I understand everyone, you know, they find the things they love where they live and it's valuable and important and all of that. That being said, it seems like football and like metal concerts probably take a lot of precedent because there's not as much else to do yes <laughs> in fact if i could have any career and um our our temporal placement was of no consequence a rock station dj in the 1970s in like fargo i'd take that gig because so you're basically a rock star that's true you're like a local rock star. I mean, because you have all those tickets. And you already kind of look like Philip Seymour Hoffman from Almost Famous, so it kind of works. <laughs> that was Lester Bangs. Uh, he was a music critic, not a DJ. Oh, that's right. That's right. Sorry, Chuck. Sorry, man. Sorry. I, and I've seen that movie. I've seen that movie so many times. <laughs> Lester Bangs, who did his uh, his his um, very famous review of uh, uh, Metal Machine music by Lou Reed. Mm-hmm. He was actually one of, like, one of the only people who had the guts to actually review it. <laughs> <laughs> Called a genius. You see, this, this is fatuous, pseudo-blubber. You know, I mean, which is fine, but... Uh, Jim Morrison? 
He's a drunken buffoon. Give me the guess who. Come on, they got the courage to be drunken buffoons, which makes them poetic. Live American woman, most brilliant piece of gobbledygook ever. Iggy Pop! Amen! Yeah. Mr. Banks. The, the Devin Faraci of his time. Anyway. <laughs> Die Young. Oh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. You had to... Oh. I know. Um, Taken too soon. I don't know. There's not much that can be said of this song except that it's cool. And I, I, I gave this four metal horns just on the fact that I think it's a cool song. That's it. There you go. Yeah, I'm not ashamed of it. And I think this is the kind of album where you can do stuff like that. So take that, hipsters. <laughs> um, okay, the next one, Walk Away. Uh, so this is funny. This is I think this is actually like a funny song. Because I, I feel like this is something that was probably a thing when the song was being produced. Uh, women trying to, to hook up with dudes just so they could have their kids and not involve the man whatsoever in their lives. <sighs> I... She's got the look of freedom and it makes you think she's wild. But I can see right through her, through it all. It's her way to have a child. You know, oh. um... I, you, you might be onto something, and <laughs> I... Yeah. I feel like you want to say I'm, something, but you're very hesitant to comment. I'm very hesitant <laughs> to say what I want to say. Um, I wonder, though, just aside from what I'm not saying, is um, I wonder if there was a thing among rock stars for like women to be like, like I'm going to be a groupie so that I can have this rock star's child. Huh. If that might be even more specific than just like a sort of general thing, but it does make you think, though, right? Like, is there a, what you know, what what relation is this to like the relation to like the women's liberation movements of the '70s and '80s? This idea that like I want to have a child, and I don't necessarily need to have like a man to have that child. Like, I don't need, like, I don't need to have a husband to have that child. Like, I want to have the child because I know I want to be a mother, but I still want to kind of sort out my life partner side of things. Right. I don't know. Interesting. Uh, it's it's about seductive women who want to get into a relationship with you strictly to have your child and then leave you. All that she um, wants is another baby. Uh, hey hey. Uh, you know what? I I've I I knew a woman who did that. Over his head. Oh, I didn't. I didn't catch it. Sorry. Well, what did you say? I said all that she wants is another baby. Oh. Ace of base. Ace Come of base. You can put that in the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I knew a woman who did that. So I, I, they definitely exist. Uh, mm -hmm. Oh yeah, totally. And I'm sure there are dudes who do the same thing. I don't know. You know, it's it's not great. I think it's fine. It's like a it's like a bar song that you hear. You know, with your buddies. And you're mm -hmm. playing pool, and like one of you picks up the pool cue and you use it as a guitar. You know, it's it's. It's dad rock. Yeah, dad rock. It's, dad totally... rock about a song with someone who doesn't want a dad. You're drinking uh, your old Milwaukee, a picture of it, you know. Yeah. In your New Balance. Yeah. Two metal horns. Definitely I also wanna... the second I... half of this album is not as strong as the first half. <laughs> I don't think so either. Um, but I do want to point out there's two songs in here about women. 
Yeah, not 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 uh, not great representation, if you ask me. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so next one is "Lonely Is the Word." I found this song to be very interesting, even though it's not particularly great. Yeah, my my interest was peaked again, and then when it ended, I was like, "Oh, oh, the album's done." Like I felt like that was kind of a weird. I mean, I guess you want to end it on a higher note than "Walk Away." Yeah. But it's definitely a better note than Walkway. Definitely a better note. Better but song too. It felt to me it makes the album feel abrupt. It, it but, but you know it's it's I found it interesting because the whole song is about loneliness, right? Right. Someone who used to have it all but now has nothing. Ozzy. Um, I've been higher than stardust. Uh, Ozzy. I've been. <laughs> I've been. <laughs> I've been seen upon the sun. I used to count in millions then, but now I only count in one. Ozzy gave it all up for his own solo career. But I, I, I don't think it's about. I mean, you could say it is that, but, but Ozzy's a part of it. But it's also like, it's almost like Dio confronting his mortality because this is like to me every rock star's nightmare is to become like a washed up rock star. That was always always. Like, when I was a kid, I used to watch that VH1 behind the music all the time. And not just behind the music, but, like, all the other stuff they used to do with, like, these aging rock stars. Like, there was yeah. one where they had musicians come in and, like, de- design their fans, like, r- rooms. Do you remember that show on VH1? No. And one of them, they had Sammy Hagar do it. That's gotta be so sad. And it was sad because there was always like washed up ones. The only wash up, the only person who they, they they came in that came in who was not washed up was Weird Al, and he designed like a really cool room. Um, but like he was like, I just remember Sammy Hagar being like, "Wouldn't it be great if you came into the room and I'm like behind the bar and I've got like the the, the margarita shaker and I'm shaking, like, hey buddy, how's it going?'" I'm just like, "This is like this is kind of scary." Yeah, it, it, there's a, it, I'm sort of reminded of that a couple years ago. There was that. There was that piece that was done. I can't remember what magazine did it, but they did this whole like interview with Johnny Depp, and he just came across as just like desperate for people to think he's cool. Yeah, but like cool by like two thousand five standards. <laughs> you mean he wears like like um, like low rise pants and he has a little yeah and... yeah because I mean you know there's this there's this whole thing with yeah among rock stars that. You know that the idea. I mean, because everyone tell it. D. Snyder is great. I mean, I think D. Snyder, by the way, is a great example of this. Of someone who came to recognize he can't be a rock god anymore. Yeah. And so he now. I mean, I think he still does music and stuff, but he's. I think he's more more of into like he's more of like a commentator and sort of like he's really embraced that role as sort of like godfather of like a sort of godfather of modern rock music or whatever. And so he's more of like a purveyor of wisdom rather than trying to keep the flame alive and he's and because of his involvement with the whole pmrc thing or yeah right like that they always he's the one they always go to and talking about censorship and music and stuff right he's the most outspoken person like that's the person i feel like they always go to when they talk about that time history and any kind of music Mm -hmm. censorship they're always talking to d snyder yeah and so i think d snyder i think he's i think he's an interesting guy in terms of all of this stuff because he I think he's, you know, he's recognized that he is not a young man anymore and that there's no, and that it's embarrassing. Another, another great person about this is, uh, is Pete Townsend, mm-hmm. uh, Pete Townsend of the who, who I remember hearing years ago saying that like, 
he and Roger, as long as they're willing to do it, they'll continue performing as the who and touring until they're a hundred. And he says, it'll look and sound like crap, but we'll be keep doing it. And I just think that's, it's great. Like you recognize that as you get older, it's just not the same, but, yeah. you know, but they're doing it cause they have fun doing it. Um, I mean, I, I've heard like, I mean, I've heard horror stories of like, uh, I forgot which band it was. Maybe, I think it was evil toys or something. Was it Satan's toys or I don't know. I forgot whatever. <laughs> Some uh, a podcast I listened to. Some guy went to like an like an like a a concert of like some famous '80s glam rock band, and he said that it was so bad that he, the the front man like barely sang and just let the crowd do all the singing. I'm like that's ooh, that's rough. I saw that happen when I saw Dashboard Confessional in concert at the height of their popularity. Really. <laughs> Because people wouldn't shut up. They were singing the long <laughs> singing the song. So Chris Caraba just like stepped away from the mic and just let the crowd sing the songs for him. That's yeah, that's annoying. But they were people were treating it like, isn't that so cool that he was doing that? I'm like, Oh, I, I didn't pay money to hear you sing, but Exactly. I also got dumped right after that show, so I don't have positive feelings about the experience. Sorry, I'm sorry to hear that dude. You want to talk about sorry, it? Vindicated Vindicated's a great song though. Anyway. <laughs> hey look, if uh, you're gonna get dumped if you're gonna get dumped Yeah. <laughs> After the dashboard concert is the best place to have it. I'm just gonna say that. That's those. That, that's truism. I think you're. I think. I think that's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it would suck if it was at like at a Newsboys concert or something. So I don't know. I think it's. I think it's crazy to end on this this song. Um, it's. It's a big epic triumph and celebratory album with with. Um, like, you know, fantasy, uh, woven right. into it. And this song and this album ends with lyrics. Uh, yeah. Lonely is the game. Maybe life's a losing game. There's, I, I but I think there's something brave about that. Like staring death in the face, uh, confronting your mortality. Like this album cements Dio as like a rock legend. And right. here he is basically basically saying like I know what the cost is, especially because I just like I just ended someone's career, <laughs> right? Well, and it, 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 and it, uh, well, it didn't end his career, but I, yeah, you know what I mean. Like he, he probably thought, like, yeah, but he probably thought that was happening. That was probably what they were thinking when they were doing. Like it was probably like it's probably over for Ozzy. Like he's probably going to overdose or something after this. Who knows, right? And it said he and it said he came up with Crazy Train. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But you have to think that that's probably going through their minds, right? Like this could be the end, and this could only make it probably make it worse. We're doing this guy that like no one's ever really heard of, um, right? So there, there's a there's there's a bravery I think to that. There is, and I think it also fits really well with the title of the album being "Heaven and Hell," right? If you're talking about facing mortality, facing the end, right? You're also facing the prospect of heaven or hell. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and in, in the popular imagination, as you know, our podcast debunked that, but it's still, you know, that poetic sense of, of where things go. And as a band, right, that's what they're facing. Right. Right. This is either going to be well received. Yeah. And it's going to be heavenly or people are going to hate it mm -hmm. and it's going to be hell. Yeah. I think that's just a really interesting note to end on. Maybe not yeah. the coolest note, maybe not. It's not another heaven and hell or, or children, lost children of the sea, but it's it's like it's the right ending, I think, mm -hmm. to kind of like it's almost like kind of leaving things in the air. It, it reminds me a little bit of uh, 
that movie 1776, which is like one of my favorite musicals. Um, that's about the founding of the country and the writing of the Declaration of Independence. Loosely based on the historical event, you know, it's a big musical starring Feeney as John Adams. Uh, but the way it ends, they finally get everyone to like agree to sign the dumb thing. It's very somber. It's like this 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 musical was like epic and big and happy and joyous and just like off the wall, like like a big celebratory thing. And it ends so quietly. It ends with the ringing of the of the uh, the Philadelphia the the bell, the Liberty Bell, the Liberty Bell, yeah. And uh, it's just ringing, and they're just kind of quietly signing it, and it just fades out. And I don't know. There's something about that that I find to be really fascinating. Other than just uh, you know a big triumphant ending, right? Yeah, I mean, and I think like with seventeen seventy six, right? That ending is meant to sort of signify what you're kind of talking about here, right? Is that yeah, we're 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 signing this thing, but signing this thing means yeah. war. It means death. Right. It means bad things for everyone. Um, so there's a sobriety to that reality. And to end this album, yeah, it's like it's big. It's fantastical. It's all of that. But then at the end, it could also be our last hurrah. This could be the end of our, yeah. you know, it's sort of like, you know, the Beatles, um, you know, Let It Be was the last album released by the Beatles, but it's not the last album recorded by the Beatles. So the last album recorded by the Beatles is Abbey Road. And the last song of Abbey Road is the end. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I think it was a great, great way to cap off that career, right? There, this understanding, like, this is how the song ends, right? You know, and in the end, the love you make is equal to the love you take, right? So, or the love you take is equal to the love you make. So, right, so, like, this idea of, like, bands having that kind of self-awareness of what, you know, this, like, so I think, I think you're onto something here. I think there's probably some degree of awareness that this album that this you know that this this that putting this song at the end of this album makes that gives that note of yeah what this could mean for them and also as an individual too you got to think about this stuff too but right of course but it it also it kind of gave me a sort of a a respect for dio to have that level of self-awareness mm -hmm. like a rock star kind of like confronting that i don't think Many people do, and if they do, it's just kind of like it's almost kind of tongue in cheek, you know, or it's not done very well. Here, I think, like, just to sort of signifying that Dio is like he's not going to be like the other rock stars, you know, he's not going to like. I, mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, did he do tons of drugs and get drunk all the time like Ozzy did? I don't know, and he just happened to survive. He, <laughs> I, think, I think he was a fairly wholesome dude, actually. Really. And that makes yeah. sense. I feel like that's 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 also sort of interwoven into this album. And I think that's what that song is pretty much about. That he's just gonna, he's going to be different. So, and yeah, um, yeah. Anyway, so that's that's Heaven and Hell by Black Sabbath. Yeah, uh, solid album. So, uh, so your overall thoughts, JP? Overall thoughts. Epic. Uh, a blast. Um, you know, I, I like that it has some meaningful uh, uh, part, uh, parts to it, but not like overly preachy. Mm -hmm. And I like that it's that it's written well, you know, so it's not like hitting you on the head necessarily. But it's also like not not super cryptic. Um, they get the ideas across, but it's not like 
preachy. Um, and I, I did Dio's self-awareness. I love the pageantry. I love <laughs> just the mythic aspect of it. Um, and as someone who's tried really hard to get into metal and can't really latch onto, I mean, I've, I've always loved Black Sabbath, of course, the old stuff. Like you said, I like their stuff too. But this really, I can see myself like just diving in now. Like this is this is where JP starts getting into really starts getting into metal. I think this was the spark I needed for that. All right, so so Megadeth as soon as we're done here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but having said that, I I do still kind of wish I had chosen Holy Diver. <laughs> you messaged me and you said that you, this might be the first time in music mayhem history that the that the presenter of the album was underwhelmed by it. Yeah, and I was underwhelmed by it when I when I first heard it because I didn't hear anything like Holy Diver. Right. Because I hadn't really listened to it that much before I chose it. I chose, I, like, I listened to Heaven and Hell. I really liked it. But I didn't really listen to the other songs that that much. And so that's also kind of a precedent where, like, I, I, someone who chose a, uh, an album was not, like, super familiar. Oh, that's not true. I chose that Oasis album. I wasn't familiar with it at all. Uh, but, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I was underwhelmed. But, like, I, I, I became fond of it as the more I listened to it and the more I learned about Dio and the more I just kind of, like, read what they thought about the lyrics and you know how I sort of can I, I, I could contextualize what they were experiencing through these lyrics uh, I just I started to appreciate it more and also Heaven and Hell is might be one of the greatest songs ever made there you go yeah I want to spend more time with it I my because my my one listen coming away from it is I I almost messaged you this but as I'll say it for the podcast was that my general feeling of this was that it seems to try to accomplish the same thing that the force awakens accomplished. Oh, interesting. Okay. Which was that like, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, like we're doing something different, right. But it's not, but it's going to be safe, different. It's not going to be. Oh, so you thought, you think they played it pretty safe, like not very experimental, even though it's kind of different. In a way I do. I mean, I say that because I mean, what I mean by that is more in the sense that like, we're like black sabbath is not like we're not gonna just we're we're not gonna just try to rehash like we're not gonna try to like re like get somebody sounds just like ozzy and just sort of make it sound like you know whatever um but that they also weren't gonna just go in a completely new direction yeah um that you know that they were you know that that that, so i mean you could have gone disco i don't know i mean I don't know if yeah, like they could have done on disco. <laughs> I um, because I th- you know yeah, they could have tried to sound like Kiss. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I but I because I think about because I think about um, you know, reading up on this and how part of part of what Ozzy didn't like is he felt that they were they were trying to go to they were trying to the Tony Tony Yomi was trying to do to do something too different. Um. And also, what uh, it wasn't it wasn't Geezer was it Geezer one of the one of the, one of the bases that album had like three bases in and out of it. Um, I know that he had left because he felt that they were what they were trying to do with this. He said was like being in a completely different band. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like being Black Sabbath as being a different band. So I know that in the background, what they were doing was not safe. Right, right. Enough for longtime members to want to leave the band because of what they were trying to accomplish. But I also feel that it sounds more like a fresh coat of paint than a radical departure. Like, I don't think that 
like if you listen if you listen to Rage Against the Machine, um, whatever album it is that has like Bulls on Parade, yeah. Like if you listen to that album, and then you put on Audio Slave, right? That's a departure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't like so I don't think that the differences between these two albums are that different. You would say it's more of an evolution, not a revolution. Perhaps, right? It's, a, it's maybe an enrichment of what they had been doing. Okay. But they benefit. But but as we've talked about it more, and I've thought about it more, I think I think Sabbath benefited from having Dio's perspective and his vocals, and that though it makes them sound like a functionally different band, um, there's still enough continuity to make that you know it's it's on brand, right? Yeah. yeah in a lot of ways um and like but i ultimately might come up might my takeaway from it all is that i feel based off of its time frame it really set the stage or either reflects or set the stage for what a lot of metal would be following this oh totally yeah and so you know dio's vocals becoming like the, the gold standard for metal vocals mm-hmm. of when you because you know, you like. I'm just trying to think, like, like with Iron Maiden and other groups, like they, you know, they have they have really strong vocals, but there's just something about Dio's that just sounds like what everybody when they are, when they're pretending to do metal, like this is what they're trying to it's go operatic. For. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, I mean, you can't deny Dio's vocals. Yeah, dude. I mean, you know, they're just they're unique, and there's range, and they're powerful, and Iomi's playing is unbelievable too and then moving moving metal a little bit away from the occult stuff and more into the fantasy stuff yeah i think is pretty awesome um yeah i mean it'd be great to kind of mark the like the 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 epochs in metal right so dio's vocals changed what you know changed metal to make it more more operatic right then i wonder which band was the first to have the double kick drum because that changed metal forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, was it like Pantera or something that had like the first <laughs> double kick? Oh, yeah. I don't know. If you know, um, let us know. Yeah. So, anyway. Um, so, I, I, I don't think I'm as, I'm as in love with it as you are, but I also have the, the misfortune of not listening to it enough. And partly due to the fact that even you were like, I'm underwhelmed by this. So I was like, oh, well, I feel bad. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I don't fault you, you know, but it makes me want to listen to it again. I want to listen to heaven and hell again. Like just the song, just to, 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 to really like I'm... drink it in. And I've been listening to children of the sea for 20 years. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll send, I'll send you the, the heaven and hell video I watched. Oh yeah. I want to watch that. It's cool. Okay. Uh, oh, I guess I need to choose my, what I think is the best song. I mean, What's you know, that song, I, I think well, you already it's... said you already said Heaven and Hell is one of the greatest songs ever written. So. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> children. You know, but you know what? Lost Children of the Sea it puts up a good fight. It's a good good fight. That's a great song. It, it, you know, it's it's like uh, you know, if I had to choose between Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, I know everyone chooses Empire Strikes Back, but it's a struggle for me. Okay, the answer is Last Jedi. <laughs> oh boy. They're coming after us. Bring it. <laughs> I would love to have a discussion with these people. <laughs> if it's one at a time that I have to preach the good news of The Last Jedi, I will do it. They're still out there. They're still out there, Chuck. 
even though Ryan Johnson is having the rise of Skywalker. Ryan Johnson is having more success than like most filmmakers right now, and also like he's now helping smaller filmmakers. He's still like the worst filmmaker who's ever lived, right? (laughs) Whatever. Yeah. Okay. So loved the album. If you haven't heard it, please go listen to it. Um, It's available for free on YouTube, not pirated. The 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 label that owns it is called Rhino, and they posted the entire album on on YouTube for you to enjoy. Nice, so nice. Go out and listen to it. It's a so great, now, great driving song. You know, I I I learned to love it as I was driving, not just sitting yeah. and listening to it. And then when I sat and read all the lyrics, that's when I started to love it. Yeah, it's definitely one of those songs. It's or definitely one of those albums. It's good for a good drive. Yeah, yeah. Road music. So, so. okay, well. Now we've got we to we we figure something out here. It's a little awkward. Yeah. We originally were going to have Father Fun appear next week, but he is delayed. Correct. Uh, so we don't know what we're going to do next week. <laughs> it's a little up in the air. Um, I, I think... I think we should just bite the bullet and talk about DC Talks Jesus Freak. That's what I think. Because listen, yeah. we've talked about DC Talk in this podcast. We've got a terrible album. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. All right. You know what, Chuck? You're on. Yes. From heaven and hell to Jesus Freak. <laughs> yes. I love the tonal whiplash this year. <laughs> She's so unusual. Heaven yeah. and hell, Jesus Freak. Yes. We're going to talk. So we're going to, I mean, I have the vinyl of Jesus Freak. Gosh, here we go. Two LP vinyl that also has their cover of I Wish We'd All Been Ready. It is definitive for us, right? It is. It is. DC Talk has a little bit of a, a of an arc throughout Music Mayhem. It's like the band we want to talk about, but also I don't know if we want to talk about it. That's not why we had to freaking talk about Supernatural a couple years ago and freaking awful album. <laughs> that was a bad album, dude. <laughs> um, Cool. All right. So you heard, you heard the man. DC Talk's. Jesus freak, go out and listen to it. I'm sure it's on YouTube too. Father Chuck, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome so much for me being here. And I want to thank our audience for listening and for watching. Be sure to like and subscribe, leave a comment or a review. Uh, and uh, yeah, th- throw up, throw up the, uh, th- throw up the finger purses. <laughs> All right. Everyone have a wonderful week. Good journey. Good journey.